Good to be here this morning. I'd like you to turn, if you would, uh, to Genesis, book of Genesis, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. I want to read a few passages of scripture here. We're dealing with the, in the love series, and our subject is love and sex. Love and sex. And it's a giant elephant in the room in Christianity, especially amongst us Baptists, and that's sex. I once preached on the subject of sex, and I had an older member of the church, not here, older member of that church, he came up to me and he said, uh, in my day, when I was younger, sex was never talked about, especially from the pulpit. And God gave me this answer. Yep, that's how we got to where we're at today. It's in the Bible. God invented it. God placed it in marriage. And if we're not going to preach on it, if Christians aren't going to talk about it, all that there is then is the corruption that the world has. They're talking about it. We've got some young people that don't necessarily know what Scripture says, or maybe we take for granted that they do know. So, we felt impressed the Lord to preach on this. I hope that you'll be receptive to it and listen. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground of... Uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, the Lord is speaking. Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. Now it's not until Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, where we read that these here had sex, what's commonly referred to today as sex. And if you have a problem saying that, just go home, practice in front of the mirror by yourself, and you'll be fine. Genesis 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived... And bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So I look at this subject uh, today. I don't know if we'll spend more than today on it, but I do want to cover it. One of the things I feel impressed to say is, don't assume that people know what the Bible says about anything, especially this subject. 
And knowing is good, but knowing and obeying are two different things. Now, I want to say this before we go any further too. Premarital sex, which is fornication. Adultery, which is sex with someone outside of the confines of your marriage, is not the unpardonable sin. It's sin, but it's not the unpardonable sin. There's a lot of people who feel that way. There's a lot of people who treat that way. There's a lot of Pharisaic-like Christians who look down their noses at people for same thing. So I want to say this, and today, as we look at this subject, 40 to 50% of married couples are filing for divorce. 40 to 50%. That rate has decreased since 2019. Some people say, oh man, it's going down. You know why it's going down? Because less people are getting married. That's it. It's not because we're seeing it trend the other way. If you're not married, there's no divorce, is there? We haven't fixed the issue. Now, just more people are not getting married. They're sleeping together. They're hooking up. And uh, this is borne out. Throughout statistics, there are 700,000 less marriages in the last 20 years. There are 300,000 less divorces. Yet the population continues to increase. You can't have kids unless you have sex. But there's 700,000 less marriages. So people are simply not getting married. They're simply living together or just hooking up. And as one person said, what's love got to do with it? Well, for some people, nothing. I knew a young lady and she said her comment was, it's just a kiss. It's just sex. It's just this. It's a whole lot more than that. So let's think about Some things that need that God speaks on. First of all, the great sex swindle. There are a few things that are misnomers about sex that need to be addressed. One of the misnomers is, is that sex is sinful and worldly. That is not true. It's not sinful, it's not worldly. Just like anything, it can be used sinfully and worldly. Just like this device right here. This device here, it can be used worldly and sinfully. Same thing with television. Same thing with a car. Same thing with a hammer. You pick up a hammer and say, what is it? Oh, it's a hammer. What do you use it for? Nailing nails. You ask somebody else, what's that for? Oh, you beat somebody over the head with it. So it all depends, doesn't it? I read to you in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 4, we read here how that the Lord, in fact, God even told Adam and Eve, He said that you they were to be fruitful and multiply. How's that done? Through sex. God reiterated again to Noah and his sons and his wife and their wives when they got off the ark to be fruitful and multiply. How's that done? With sex. 
If sex is sinful, then why did God command them to be fruitful and multiply? If sex is worldly, then why did God command them to do it? So that's a misnomer. That's something that isn't true. Another one is good Christians don't talk about sex. That's very erroneous. And it's ironic since the Bible, which is God-breathed, talks about sex. God is not the author of sin, yet He invented sex, didn't He? Another thing I want to notice about, secondly, is sex in the Bible. God's Word has a lot to say about sex. Negatively, the Bible speaks of fornication. The Greek for fornication is porneia, P-O-R-N-E-A. That's where we get our word pornography from. The Bible speaks about this. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to read here verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3. The Bible says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification that she should abstain from fornication. So God commands, and He speaks about here, and He tells, uh, speaks unto uh, His saints, He speaks unto the church of Thessalonica, He says, this is God's will for you to be sanctified, set apart. That's what the word sanctification means. You're to be set apart. Do not have sex prior to marriage. I'll tell you what, if you're going to do that in 2023, you are going to be set apart. You're going to be different. It's the way it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Paul expresses it in this way. He says, flee fornication. Don't put yourself in a place where it might happen. Okay? I'll give you some examples. Are you likely to have sex in front of your parents? Then don't be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend not in their presence. And you won't commit fornication. Just makes sense, doesn't it? How about Joseph? Where was Joseph at when Potiphar's wife got a hold of him? Where was he at? What did he do? He fled fornication, didn't he? She said, oh, come lie with me. He's, he got out of there, didn't he? How about some of these things you hear on the news about some of these athletes or some of these people that are accused of raping women? Come to find out, they never even touched them. Had a Supreme Court justice had to deal with that a couple years ago, didn't we? Come find out it was all lies. There's men who spent time in prison because women said they did something. Years later, come out and said, oh, that never happened. 
don't be alone with the opposite sex. You won't be tempted. They can't make a false accusation. And you won't have sex. Don't be alone. As a parent, we might say, well, we used to be able to go on dates. And you probably did some things you shouldn't have done on those dates. Probably gotten into some things maybe you wish you had enough. And you know, you have all of these things and you know what? If you'd have been around your parents, you'd have been around siblings or perhaps these things wouldn't have took place. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Look over, if you would, in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And notice, if you would, here another uh, sex in the Bible negatively is that of adultery. Adultery. Galatians 5.19 Here the Bible describes it as a work of the flesh. In fact, fornication. I know a lot of people struggle thinking that adultery and fornication are the same thing. They're not. Scriptures bear it out. They're different Greek words. They're used differently in the Bible. They're not the same thing. Galatians 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible puts a very high standard on adultery. Christ said that if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. So it doesn't even have to be the outward act. It can just be the lust in the heart. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to even look after things. So here you've got the scriptures tell this. That's a pretty high standard. I know today I've heard men say, say, when they see a, 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 a woman, she's beautiful, and some, somebody say something, say, well, I'm married, I'm not dead. As if that excuses lusting. The Bible turn, if you would, turn over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4. And this is <coughs> some of what we just talked about. Different things that have been said. Our, our past president, he made some talk. People say, oh, it's locker room talk. You ought not to have locker room talk if you're a child of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that nor whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor a covetous man, 
Who is an idolater hath an inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? People use all manner of language today. It's vile and wicked. And they use sex and everything's a joke and everything's joked about. Look over if you would in, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6. No, 1 Corinthians. I apologize. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want, I want to show you this as well while we're going through this. If you're here, you've committed fornication, maybe you've committed adultery, maybe you've looked upon a woman and lusted after her in her own heart. And it's always interesting to me that God said, if a man looketh on a woman, it's because God knows that men are very visual. Very visual. Women are very emotional. So it doesn't say if a woman looks on a man. It says if a man looketh upon a woman. But I want you to notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It is a sin, and yet Christ's blood is able to cleanse from it. There was a harlot that God saved and she's even in the line of Christ. One by the name of Rahab. David was king and he committed adultery then murdered Bathsheba's husband to try to cover it all up and God forgave him, didn't He? So if you've done any of this, you need to take it to the Lord and you need to ask God to forgive you and you need to understand that God pardons from this. Amen. You don't have to carry that guilt and weight around. Amen. Now positively, what the Bible says about sex, God's the author of it. He originated it. God gave it for the purpose, multiple purposes. Number one, for procreation. It is impossible to have children without their being man and the woman's seed coming together. It's impossible. I don't care what they do in labs. They're still going to have to have the man's seed and a woman's seed to do it. <clears throat> the Bible tells us positively about sex that it's also for companionship. God said unto Adam, I'm going to give you help who's meet or fit or suitable for you. And he made a woman. He didn't make another man, did he? He made a woman. And man's messed everything up. You read Romans chapter 1, man's messed it up. Men's got man with men, women with women, people with animals. Vile and wickedness. God's just turned them over, turned them over, turned them over. God's made it for companionship. It communicates a very deep companionship. Hence, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. He knew her. 
there was some companionship. It wasn't like they met on spring break for a couple hours and then went back to the hotel room. That's not companionship. Look in Genesis chapter 18. Here's one. This is also taboo amongst Christianity, especially amongst us Baptists. Genesis chapter 18, verse 12. God made sex for pleasure. God said He created each day. At the end of each day, He said it is good. Then He made man. He said, and God saw that it was very good. Sex is very good when you do things in the confines of the Scriptures. Outside of that, it's not good. It's not good. God said so. Genesis 18 and verse 12. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. What's she talking about? They're going to have a kid. How are they going to have a kid? Sex. There's pleasure involved. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, God said, the Hebrews, they had a rule, and the rule was when they got married... The men, because they they all had to enlist in the military. He said, the men are to stay home for one year. Deuteronomy 24. I want to read here verse 5. Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife which he hath taken. I know that is more than just having sex with her. But for one year they were to be together. Not be involved in business, not go to war. That's it. A one year honeymoon. Pretty different today, isn't it? Look over in Song of Solomon. Chapter 7. Again, <clears throat> spend, just giving you some extra verses about this being for pleasure. It's okay if you're married and you're having sex with your spouse... Understand, if you're a woman, you need to be married to a man. If you're a man, you need to be married to a woman. I I feel like we have to say that today. It's okay to have pleasure. You ought to have pleasure. You ought to seek to please one another. And not just in this, but Song of Solomon 7, verse 1. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O prince's daughter! The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. Thy navel is like a round goblet which wanteth not liquor. Thy belly is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins. Thy neck is as a tower of ivory. Thine eyes like the fishing fish pools of 
Heshbon, by the gate of Bath Rabim, thy nose is as a tower of Lebanon, which looketh toward Damascus. I don't know, she sounds kind of ugly to me, but he thought she was real pretty. I wouldn't recommend using this description to tell your wife, well, you got a really nice nose. But obviously these things are meaningful and they have some depth to them. But look at the pleasure that he has in the different body parts of his wife. That's his wife. Her body is his. That's why God said when sin entered in the world, what did he do? He covered up man and woman. I've said this before. I, I, I repeat it. I, I mean it. I, and I said this to some parents. I said, if your son came home with his girlfriend... And they said, Mom, Dad, we're going to strip down to our underwear and we're going to go get in the shower or in the bath. Oh, no, absolutely not. I goes, what's the difference between that and what they wear when they go swimming together in the pool? What's the difference? She's essentially got a bra and panties on and he's in his underwear. What's the difference? Well, I'll give you, there is no difference. There's no difference. There isn't any. And that nakedness is not his yet until they're married. And his nakedness is not hers until they're married. You say, oh, you're old fuddy-duddy. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 7? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is one person stated. This is probably the most uh, uh, descriptive passage of Scripture about sex in the New Testament. It's also, not only is, is it for procreation, companionship, for pleasure... But it's also for meeting physical and emotional needs. This is the most candid passage on sex in the New Testament. Notice here verse 1. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. Can you imagine? Here's a church and they wrote unto the Apostle Paul and asked him these questions. And what did Paul do? He wrote them back. You know what Baptists today do? Oh, we don't talk about Well, we better talk about it. He said, verse 1, continuing, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud, or deprive not one another. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. You know what incontinent means? It means you don't have any self-control. Do you know what God tells us? you know what the, the, the Holy Spirit gives to Paul about this? He said, listen, first of all, it's best not to touch a woman. 
However, so you don't commit fornication. Every man has his own wife. Every wife has her own husband. We're not sharing. You don't have multiple wives or multiple husbands. You each got your own. Kind of sounds like Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, doesn't it? Then he goes through these things and he says, goes through all of this, and he says the wife doesn't have power over her own body. The husband has power over her body, and vice versa. And then he comes here to verse 5, and he says, defraud or don't deprive one the other except it be with consent. Meaning, there has to be agreement on both parties and it has to be for a certain time. And then he says, in verse 5, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So husbands, if you don't want to have sex with your wife, you need to be having prayer and fasting then. That's it. That's it. And vice versa. Wives, you want to have sex with your husbands? Better be prayer and fasting. That's it. Not, I got a headache, I had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. I'm too tired. Or whatever else I tell my wife. And then he says that this is only to be done for a time, meaning there's an end time. There's an end time that you know when it's going to end. That when you're not going to have sex, you've consented to that, you've both come to an agreement on it, and you've set a time, then you're going to come together again, because if you don't, Satan will tempt you because you don't have any control. I've yet to ever hear a marriage counselor ever say this. You know why? Because they don't use this book. You know who invented sex? God. And here's the manual for it. Right here. You know who invented marriage? God. Here's the manual for it. He says, if you have such a great need that you are fasting and praying and you can't have sex, that's it. That's it. That's it. Last of all, sexual intercourse is to be within marriage and it's designed to be beautiful. And it is beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. Marriage is wonderful. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13.4 that marriage is honorable. It's honorable. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, this is my one of my jobs as a dad. This is one of my wife's jobs as a mother. If you're a parent, this is your job. One of them. Parenting's hard. There's a lot of jobs. I never understood how... Uh, dads, some of dads that I knew, and they would be like, if, if their son went out and slept with somebody, they're like, yeah, way to go. 
But if somebody slept with their daughter, oh, someone, someone violated my daughter. Well, your son violated somebody else's daughter. There's not one standard for boys and one standard for girls. It's the same standard. And it says right here in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul is here speaking about the church. But the analogy, just like in Ephesians 5, where Paul's writing about husbands and wives, he says, oh, I'm actually speaking about the church. Here, he's writing about the church. Well, guess what? We can apply it to husbands and wives. It is our job as parents to present our children as chaste and virgin on their wedding days to their husband. And it is our job as parents to present our sons as chaste virgins on their wedding day to their wives. That's part of our job as parents. So first of all, teach them what the Bible says about sex. And then set up some parameters and safeguards and guidelines. Because guess what? This flesh, they can't handle it. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. People give in all the time. I don't want them to be different. You better hope they're different than this world. better hope they're different. Anybody I've ever talked to who had sex before marriage or sex outside of marriage, they said, yeah, God healed me. I said, but there's baggage. There's scars. Well, if you could avoid them, wouldn't that have been better? Oh, yes. Yeah, God forgives. God pardons. But you know what? Some people, their minds, they don't let things go. That's what I said earlier. You've got to realize God's forgiving. You don't have to carry on that guilt. You don't have to. But don't let your children go through those things. Prevent it. And if they're not saved, even if they are saved, they'll probably fight you tooth and nail on it. Oh, well, my friend gets to do this and my friend gets to do that. Well, I'm not their parent. And I am responsible to God to present you as a chaste virgin on your wedding day. And by golly, I'm going to do it if I have to lock you in your room till that day. But you understand the seriousness of it. So I want to encourage you in that. And this is what God's Word has to say about it. I pray God will bless us. I pray He'll help us. I pray we'll see these things. Say, well, I knew these things. Great. Teach them to somebody else. Say, well, I didn't know that. Great. Now you know it. Now you can teach it to somebody else. Apply it to our own lives. May God bless His Word. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.